When a fire breaks out in an apartment complex, all the residents rush to save each other. But when the firefighters show up and they begin to douse the flames, that's when the mystery begins. And then we travel to Belize to ask the question, can a serial killer kill someone they've never met? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm feeling a lot better too, so hopefully that is apparent in my voice. Feeling much, much better. Someone who always makes me feel better, always giving me a ride around town. Everyone stand up and give a round of applause to one of our Thanksgiving live stream contributors. It's Church Going Mule. Everyone give a big round of applause for Church Going Mule as I'm riding around on his back. Wee! Church Goins also sent in a ton of stories as well. Longtime supporter of the show, longtime listener of the show. Church Going Mule, you're going to be the captain, the pilot of this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I, t- I totally get it. Trust me, I get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. I understand not being able to give money financially, but if you can just tell your friends and family about it or put up flyers like I have in the show notes, that also really, really helps out the show. Really appreciate it. So, oh, and we are going to do a Christmas Eve live stream. It'll be 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time if you want to join us for that. It'll probably be about an hour long, I'm thinking. So Christmas Eve, a live stream. And I think that's all of the... Uh, general notes that I have to start off with. Church going mule, I'm going to go ahead and get ready to catch them in your clompers there. Church going mule, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to Mexico. (laughs) I want to take this dirigible in. It sounds like a really happy cat. We're headed out to Altamira. That's in the Canarios subdivision in Mexico. And this story's fairly recent. This story's taking place like last week, mid-December 2021. So this story still has a lot of fresh witness statements on it. It's four in the morning. And Fabiola Bunostro and her husband are sleeping in their little apartment complex in Altamira. And then... They're like, what is Psycho coming into the house? Are we about to be stabbed to death in bed? That's supposed to be the sound of a fire alarm. So Fabiola jumps up. She's like, oh no. And she hears the neighbor's fire alarm going off. Eat, 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 eat. And she's like, get up, husband. Get up, husband. And he's like, what? What?" He's like, I was having a beautiful dream about stabbing you to death in the shower. She wakes him up. And they run over to the neighbor's apartment. There's like smoke coming out of the door. Eat, eat fiery noises and stuff and the intense heat and the intense heat and they hear someone coughing on the other side of the door and screaming there's someone trapped in this fiery apartment so they do it's always tough in these type of situations like you're not supposed to like open the door but you also you're also not supposed to let people roast alive so i don't know if i'd be brave enough to open the door but anyways they go to open the door and at this point their neighbors are like showing up with buckets of water and I, I guess that, that would make the difference of whether or not I opened the door if I thought we could put it out. If I was in a hallway and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on in here. Ah, and I, I was going to burn alive. But if my neighbors were standing there with water buckets and they're like, Jason, you're the one with free hands. Can you open the door, please? I'm like, I'm scared. So they're throwing water into the room and Fabiola and her husband see a woman in the middle of this burning room and they reach in and they 
pull her out. Pull her out of this room. The whole complex gets evacuated because of this, and the firefighters are showing up. Firemen jumping out. Squeaky, squeak. Those are, those are their boots. Those are their boots. They're walking up the stairs. They're putting the fire out, and now all of the all of the residents are out on the street corner, and they start talking about what happened. And Fabiola goes, yeah, it was actually the fire started right next to ours. It was like our neighbor. Yeah, we had to go over there, and we had to rescue her. We had to rescue her right there. And Fabiola goes to, like, point to her. The woman's gone. And then her husband's looking around. He's like, I don't see her either. And, and Fabiola's like, oh, no. Uh, she was just here. The woman that we rescued from the fire was just here. But now she's not. And the crowd of people, the crowd of residents kind of looked for this girl. They got a description of her. But no one could find her. And, and one of the residents goes, that apartment next to you? There's not anyone there. There's no one living there. Fabiola and her husband kind of look at each other. They're like, there was someone there just a couple minutes ago. So after the firefighters do their job and they go away, they wait, they wait until the sound effect stops before everyone else kind of shuffles back into the apartment complex. The more curious among them, including Fabiola and her husband, go upstairs. I think this is taking place like on the fourth floor. So they go up to the apartment and they open the door and it's wet and it's charred. The place is pretty charred up. The fire didn't completely destroy the place, but it was empty. There's no furniture, no television, no PlayStation, nothing. All that was there was a bucket, a charred nightstand, which I'm assuming was a normal nightstand before the events of the night, a little bench, a mirror, and uh, because this story was reported in, in uh, Spanish, so there's a bit of translation errors, but in a veladora ahumada, a veladora ahumada, which directly translates as a smoked candle. So I don't know what that is. I mean, obviously, I'm going to guess it's a candle that was uh, used. A used candle. Which would, which would point out how the fire started. This used candle. But other than that, there was nobody there. And the residents now believe that in some sort of odd way, I find this so fascinating, the residents kind of believe, I won't say all of them, maybe 30% of them, we didn't take a poll, but there are residents now who believe that Fabiola and her husband, and really all the people who were throwing water into the apartment, they rescued a ghost. This was a ghost trapped in this apartment. And she's now free to wander the world, to go by a Slurpee, whatever. Fascinating story for a couple different reasons. One, what we're looking at is the traditional phantom hitchhiker type story, right? Couple's driving down the road, they see a girl, she looks like she's a teenager, maybe on the way to her prom, or she got dumped by her boyfriend, whatever, and you drive her home, and then when you get to her house, you turn back, and all that's left is a soaking wet jacket. <laughs> if I left the detail out, that usually this happens at night in the rain, and the guy gives the girl the jacket, and then when they turn around, they pull up to the girl's house, they get her there, and then we look in the back seat, there's just a soaked jacket, and then they go to the house and they ask, hey, uh, <laughs> that girl, she totally ruined my jacket. And the people in the house go, oh, our daughter, Anne, died on a horrible night just like this. And I killed her. I'm confessing I, the dad, killed her. But no, you know, she died on a car crash or she's headed to prom, got her head chopped off by a maniac. And so this is a phantom hitchhiker story. They're very, very popular. I think it's one of the first urban legends kids really hear. We have that in a different setting. 
Because that's essentially what this is, if it's a ghost story. We have someone being rescued from a location that they don't want to be in, and being set free. So on, on a simple urban legend, and this has been reported in the media, so I'm not saying like this is an urban legend, but from a simple urban legend standpoint, it sounds like that. I came across a story on coasttocoastam.com, which is one of the seven websites they check every single day. I love it. I get a ton of good stuff from there. And they got it from Millennio.com, which is a Mexican news website. But we have this... It, obviously, it's a couple different ways we look at it. We have the rational way that there is a used candle in an abandoned apartment, and this woman was squatting there. She was on the run from, like, the IRS or her ex or whatever, or she's some assassin. And, I mean, whatever whimsical or tragic backstory you want for this woman. And she knocks over the candle. She causes the fire, gets trapped. She's rescued. And then when she's outdoors, she's like, oh, I'm out of here, dude. I'm on the run. I got to keep doing what I'm doing, running. She disappears into the darkness. It's 4 a.m. when this all happens. Or the idea that it is a ghost. It's a phantom hitchhiker type story. But I was reading the story, and I go, dude, what if it's both? Kind of, right? Right, because I'm a contrarian. I just can't I just can't handle it being cut and dry. I was reading the story and I thought, okay, so there is a smoked candle, a used candle, whatever it is, in the room and that might might have started the fire, but it seemed to be a pretty big fire. I don't know what else would have been combustible in that room. And the way it was described now again, maybe I described maybe I described it as this roaring inferno and it was just a slight fire. There's really no such thing as a slight fire. We don't know how much room of it was how much like surface area was on fire. But again, again, one square foot or ten square feet, I'm out of there. But I was reading this and I thought, dude, what if Conspiracy Cap fully on? What if this woman is on the run? This wasn't where she normally lives. She's not a ghost. She's kind of a squatter. And she was there performing some sort of ritual. And she's there, I mean, to be the perfect place, right? If you're going to summon some sort of horrible demon or or do something that, you know, you're going to do something that could be risky, you're not going to do it at your own house. I mean, you could. You'd be adult. You definitely lower the profit value when Baphomet is always sitting on your toilet. So imagine someone, and I started thinking, I wonder how often this happens like at empty real estate houses and things like that, where you break into this house, you perform your ritual there. A mirror, a candle, a bench. Those are all things humans use, right? But those are also things, those are also things that are used in rituals. I just find that so fascinating. I mean, that's what you would do if you were dealing with high-level magic, high-level summoning. You go to a place that you, that's not yours. You're doing this ritual. It goes wrong. The room, it goes so wrong, the room erupts in flames. The ritual's gone wrong. You leave the scene. You get out of there and you leave. But if she did open something, did she close it? What's the repercussions of her performing this ritual wrong is that next door apartment to fabiola and her husband no longer abandoned no longer empty instead there's something there some primal force sitting in the dark apartment waiting for someone to open that door again I mean, in that scenario, you would want it to be the ghost, right? You would definitely want it to be the ghostly hitchhiker in a scenario like that. But that's what I was thinking when I was reading this article, I thought. This could be something far darker than just someone on the run or a phantom hitchhiker type story. This could have been someone trying to summon something. It went sideways. 
she left and that rift, that door, still there. It's always creepy to think. I mean, you have no control over what your neighbors do. Whether whether or not they're squatters or just regular neighbors, they could be working with dark forces, either accidentally or on purpose. But even if their kids are just goofing off with a Ouija board, <laughs> they're right next to your really thin walls. You're sharing a, sharing a single wall with some 13-year-old girl's room. And her and her friends are constantly doing Ouija boards. They're like, what? This doesn't work. This is lame. And you're constantly being possessed in your house. Ah, Bobby will not ask you to the dance. Ah. <laughs> you're flipping out. Your eyeballs are bulging out. But you just never know, right? You never know what your neighbors are up to. And that's really a good segue for our next story. Church going mule, I'm going to toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Altamira. We're headed all the way out to Belize. Church going mule is flying us over to Belize. And as he's doing that, I'm going to turn around, I'm looking to you sitting in the back seat of the carpenter copter. I'm like, okay, so I got to warn you, this story's really creepy this story's really creepy i i've been getting the emails i get these every i probably get them at the end of every season hey jason the show's getting a little too dark and i don't know why that happens i kind of just report the stories that i find but this story this story intrigued me so much that i actually postponed other stories they're not going to get done until next season it's going to be two weeks because i'm taking my season break this story is really creepy and it is really dark, so I'm giving you this warning. But I just sometimes you just got to cover them. This story is so bizarre. But if you don't want to hear something really disturbing, I will see you Friday. I mean, again, it is Christmas time. We're probably going to plan it out better. But man, this story's nuts. Church going mule, bring us over Belize City. That's in the Belize district. In the country of Belize. I don't know. I don't. They just must not have really good naming team over there, a marketing team or whatever. It's September 8th, 1998. And in Belize City, there is a young girl named Cheryllie Nicholas. She's 13 years old. She's walking to school. She never gets there. And the parents start looking for her. And the police start looking for her. And the neighborhood starts looking for her. And no one can find Cheryllie Nicholas. October 9th, 1998. Cheryllie Nicholas is found in a pool of water off the highway. She suffered 40 stab wounds. One of her arms was almost completely severed. And before she was killed, she was raped. When the police get to this body, they're investigating the scene trying to process it, both in a mental way, how could this even happen, as well as just process the evidence. And they come across an alarming discovery. Cheryl Lee is not wearing the clothes that she wore when she was abducted. So they go, they must have kept her alive for a period of time. But how for how long? She's not wearing the same clothes she was wearing when she was abducted. Must have taken her shopping or had clothes available for her. And as they're continuing to process this scene, someone points out, Sir, sir, the clothes that she's wearing, the clothes that Cheryl Lee Nicholas is wearing right now, those are the clothes of Jay Blades. The officer goes, Who, who's Jay Blades? And the cop says, Jay Blades is a nine-year-old girl who went missing two days ago. So the cops now believe that Cheryl Lee was most likely kept alive. From September 8th to just two days ago. 
when whoever this maniac was kidnapped another girl off the street? A replacement? Who knows? Jay Blades was missing until around six months later when her skull and a few of her bones were found in the wilderness sitting next to Cheryl Lee's backpack. March 23rd, 1999. Jackie Fern Malik, 12-year-old girl. She was playing at her school playground. She disappears. Later found dead. June 26, 1999. Erica Willis, 8-year-old girl. Missing. Murdered. Body is found. February 15th, 2000. Noemi Hernandez, 14-year-old girl, suffers the same fate as the previous four. Five children in total. Kidnapped, raped, murdered, body dumped in the middle of nowhere. This serial killer is known as the Belize Ripper. Like, they really can't name anything that doesn't have the word Belize in it. But he's known as the Belize Ripper, a.k.a. Jack the Butcher. Because what he was doing to these kids. And I'm leaving out some of the most... I'm trying to make it as least gruesome as possible. But he was... It was bad. What he was doing was awful. So the police are hunting for him. But they never caught this guy. They never have ever solved this case. It's actually considered the nation of Belize's biggest cold case. Who was Jack the Butcher? I had a couple suspects, right? They arrested a couple people, but nothing ever really panned out. And so we always have to go down this route with serial killers because they never seem to stop on their own. Whenever a serial killer kind of drops out of the hunting grounds, the authorities always go, well, he may have moved. He may have died, killed himself or got killed in a car accident, or he might be in prison. Like those are always there. You could look at the slight possibility of someone like the BTK killer who took a break who didn't do anything for years and years and years of their own volition. It's super rare, though. You always got to look at it's this, that, and the other thing. But to me, that's not even the creepiest part of what we're going to talk about. It's a, it's a true crime story. I hate to say a standard true crime story, but we do have these. We have serial killers running around doing atrocious things to people. But that's not the reason why I basically stopped the presses on the other episode I was going to do to tell this dark, dark story. At the height of the Belize Ripper slayings, the police started investigating similar crimes. They're trying to look at any clue of who this guy could be. And on November 6, 1998, near the old Civic Center, apparently if you're in the area, maybe you know where that's at, but near the old Civic Center, Samantha Gordon, a 15-year-old girl, goes missing. She's found two days later. Her bruised and bloody body is found floating in the sea. She was stabbed to death. So the police believe that she might be part of the Jack the Butcher murder spree. So they go out there and they check on it. They're investigating it. And he had nothing to do with this murder. They ended up arresting four young men and convicted them for this murder. Now, was that, was the death of Samantha Gordon a copycat? Or was it just, was this woman unfortunately going to be beset upon by these four men no matter what? And they just happened to kill her in a way that was kind of reminiscent. It's interesting because when we look at the slayings of Jack the Butcher, his bodies are found way after the children are initially missing. But with this Samantha Gordon one, it was only two days. 
So I think that probably keyed the officers off that this might not be related. And it wasn't related. February 15th, 1999, in Corozal Town, and this is another part of the country of Belize, Becky Gilharry, 13-year-old girl, goes missing. She is found dead. She was strangled. Is this him? Is this him changing his M.O. back in February 15th, 1999? The police officers investigate this. Family friend of the Gilharrys. Family friend of Becky's family. Robert Hill, 22-year-old man, murdered her. Took this 13-year-old girl and strangled her. Friend of the family. So now you're starting to think, is this some sort of copycat thing? Like, the first four guys, we don't have much information on them. They could have been hooligans. I'm not excusing it, but there are, are unfortunately, different stages of murder, right? There's, I owe a bunch of money to the mob type of murder, and then there's abducted from your playground murder. And that's just, it's an unfortunate striation of the way you have victims. I don't know what the first girl's thing was. She could have burned them on a bad drug deal. I don't know. She could have just been a random... If she was a random choice, I would think they were trying to do a copycat murder, is what I'm saying. But with... We have this... I don't, I don't think Becky Gilharry owed money to the mob. 13-year-old girl goes missing, and we know she didn't, because we know more information about this murderer. Robert Hill, family friend, 22 years old. What was it, a copycat? June 1999. In the town of Orange Walk. Karen Cruz. You're like, Jason, please just let this episode stop, bro. You've been naming off these kids. I know, I know. Trust me, this is the last one. We're going to wrap it up here. And this is the doozy for me. This is the one that... Whew. Karen Cruz, a 10-year-old girl, goes missing. She is raped and murdered and left out in a field. And again, the police are still investigating this. As has Jack the Butcher struck again. It was her uncle. Her uncle who lived next door to her. He was obsessed with his 10-year-old niece. The neighbors, that, that's what they said. They go, yeah, dude, he was super creepy with her. He's always watching her. His name was Antonio Beza. He's 38 years old. Tried and convicted for the murder of his niece. This is so terrifying to me. I, I can wrap my head around a serial killer. I can wrap my head around someone being so broken that they can't function in normal human society so they figure that it is not them that is the little one. It is not them that is the child among giants. It's they're the giant and the rest of the world are children's and man was meant to be hunted and if only we could cull the weak and let the rain wash down on the sinners. All of that stupid delusional nonsense that basically they never grew out of their 12-year-old edgy phase. That's a serial killer. And I can wrap my head around a serial killer. I can wrap my head around lunatics. I can wrap my head around people snapping as much as I hate it, as much as that's the scariest story for me, someone snapping. But what I find so weird and so creepy about this is there's a couple different ways we could look at this. Antonio Beza, 38-year-old man, living next door to his niece, Karen Cruz, 10-year-old girl. It's possible that this dude was always a sicko. 
It's possible that from day one, this dude was a sicko, and he might have moved next to the house so he could be close to Karen, and he'd been stalking her for the longest time, and then he couldn't handle it anymore. He went after her, took her life. And I can wrap my head around that. I'm not saying it's good, but I've seen evil like that in the world, so if I just saw that as a headline, I'd be like, that's a tragedy. But it wouldn't shock me, right? That's unfortunate. It doesn't shock us anymore. Then let's look at a paranormal answer. That what happens when you have evil come to town? What happens when you have raw, unfiltered, malignant darkness show up at a location? When you shine a light, the light spreads. You have the flashlight, it makes the perfect circle, but the light is more than that. The light branches off everywhere, and you can see it doesn't just light up what you're looking at. It kind of lights up everything around you. No, you're aiming the light right here. Do we see the same thing with evil? It could be encased in a single man. It could be this possession, this darkness encased in this human being. If he, if he went to a Jamba Juice, and he's not actively murdering anyone right now, would other people feel that? Would that evil kind of infest off of him? Is that a word? Would the evil just kind of crawl off of him, ooze off of him, almost like a venom symbiote type of thing? Leaving little patches of it. Leaving little... We've actually talked about it. I don't even remember the episode about it, but we talked about that on a past episode about can you leave emotional or psychic or magical landmines. Damn it, what episode was that? That was a good one. Hopefully one of you guys remember that one, but I can't put it in the show notes. I have no idea what it was. But we create this stuff by being so evil. So is it possible? Because we have at least three other victims that Jack the Butcher never saw, but I'm making the... But I'm making the claim that he is responsible for their deaths because I think they probably were copycats. Even the first one, I, it may not have been, but I'm thinking these were copycats, right? And it wasn't because this man was walking around Belize murdering and butchering these children and it was just letting off so much psychic energy it was infesting other people. These dudes would have never done this. Never, ever thought about doing any of this stuff. Antonio Baez was totally innocent, never had any creepy, dark thoughts until he became infested with this stuff. But that's not even the creepiest. When I was reading this, and I was thinking of the paranormal, now you guys see how I read articles. My mind's just kind of going off in all sorts of ways. But even when I was thinking of this paranormal answer, I go, that's not even the creepiest answer. Because even though I hate the stories about people just snapping and then like losing it, that's not even the creepiest version. Stepping on some sort of psychic landmine, yeah, it's disturbing. But the creepiest version to me is most likely the truest one. The creep. What I honestly think was going through Antonio Beza's head was this. He was obsessed with that little girl. He was obsessed with his 10-year-old niece. He was a creep. He was a pervert. He was a weirdo, like I said in the first example. But instead of just not being able to contain it anymore, not being able to contain this madness anymore, he lashed out on this girl. He was methodical about it. He knew for years he was going to violate and murder his niece. He fantasized about it. He wanted it. But he couldn't have it. It was just so close yet so far away. It's just so creepy that this guy with the niece, 
This guy was living next door as this uncle. I'm sure he seemed to be the friendliest guy. I'm sure even neighbors might have told Karen's parents, hey, that uncle's kind of creepy. And generally, they'll just be like, yeah, Uncle Antonio, he's kind of a weirdo, ha ha ha. And the neighbor's like, no, you don't understand. This guy's like totally like perving on your kid. A lot of times families will kind of brush that stuff off. All, always to their detriment. But imagine that. Imagine living next to someone. Imagine having this guy in your family who's sitting there at the dinner table, seeming to be the funnest guy in the world, hanging out, volunteering to babysit, and he wants to do the unspeakable to your child, and the only thing that's stopping him is he thinks he will get caught. So he lets those images and fantasies and feelings simmer inside of him until one day a string of murders is publicized all over the news and television, newspaper. He's watching these programs and he's reading the paper and he thinks, now is the time. Absolutely terrifying. A string of serial killings happened in this city and six more other people who have nothing to do with those crimes are arrested for murder, similar murders. Time bombs. Time bombs in human society just waiting to go off. Just looking for a moment that they believe they can kill someone and get away with it. So as the holidays begin, and you gather with your family, you travel, maybe across the city, maybe across the country, to go see your loved ones. Just remember, behind every firm handshake, behind every smiling face, you may be standing next to a monster. A monster who hides themselves so well you can never imagine the dark images that crawl within their mind. And hopefully you'll never get to know that. Hopefully you'll never have to see into their mind or see the actions they lay upon the earth. But whether it's a serial killer who has perfected their craft or just a pervert uncle sitting on the porch, staring at his niece as she plays with her friends. You never really know who you're standing next to. You never really know who you call a friend. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.